Welcome to this episode of our show, True Data Ops. I'm your host, Kent Graziano, the Data Warrior. In each episode, we bring you a podcast covering all things related to data ops with the people that are making data ops what it is today. If you've not yet done so, please be sure to find and subscribe to the DataOps.Live YouTube channel, where you'll find all the recordings from our past episodes. If you missed any of the earlier episodes, now's your chance to catch up. Better yet, go to truedataops.org and subscribe to the podcast, then you won't miss any of our episodes. My guest today is my friend, an award-winning podcaster, author, analyst, a thousand other things, and creator of the BI Scorecard. She's now Chief Data Strategy Officer at ThoughtSpot and the host of her own podcast, the Chief the Chief Data Off. The, sorry, the Data Chief Podcast. I always say that wrong. Um, my friend Cindy Housen. Thanks for being here today, Cindy. Good to see you again, Kent. Happy to be here. So, um, you know, obviously we've known each other for quite a long time, back to the uh, BBBT days with uh, with Claudia and folks up there in Boulder. But you know, for our audience that doesn't know you, can you give us a little bit of your uh, background in uh, in data? Yeah, so you are bringing back a lot of memories, even mentioning BI scorecard. So I had to, I had to run down to our basement to get this um, souvenir. If I haven't sent you one of these, I will. I used to give these away when I did classes at the Data Warehousing Institute. Pop quiz would be like, because you have to remember, this was before social media even, and yeah. I would ask people, "Do you know?" which part of the country I come from where we have a lot of black bear and nobody would ever get it right. The first time I'd hear Montana, Canada. No, it's New Jersey, the garden state where we have a large population of black bear, but I have been in the data and analytics space for more than 30 years now, starting really just as a report writer at Dow chemical in the late 80s, early 90s, worked on the world's first global data warehousing project and global BI deployment, implementing products like Business Objects and Cognos. Focus on the mainframe is really where I cut my teeth in reporting and analytics. And then later went on to Deloitte & Touche in Texas, starting their BI and analytics practice. This was before Y2K. So Data was not as mainstream as it is now. And then, yes, had my own consulting business for 13 years. The BI scorecard, which was really a side-by-side -side comparison of the BI tools, it was also best practices for having a bigger impact. So um, th this is the book that I am most proud of. There were two editions of this. This is where I forced myself to understand more about things like master data management and what really contributes to data quality. But it was, it's still, my North Star is still, how do we get value out of all these data investments? So led uh, the Gartner BI Magic Quadrant for uh, four, four or five years. Now I'm actually forgetting how long I was there, as well as the IT score maturity assessments. And then joined ThoughtSpot four and a half years ago to really be our customer strategic advisor so that they can unlock the value of all their data investments. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe it's been four and a half years since you joined ThoughtSpot. That's that's great. I know. I know. And Kent, so so now if I can give a shout out to one of my other longtime customers, Chris Weiss, 
Um, and, and he, I just like it when customers push back on me and some were very upset when I went from being an industry neutral person to joining ThoughtSpot, thinking I would just be pushing their platform as a solution. Of course, I believe in AI powered analytics to democratize data. But uh, Chris Weiss said, you really need to talk to Kent Graziano because he's an evangelist, but he really has continued to be able to keep the customer first and not just push one vendor solution. And so that's, I do remember you and I hosting some roundtables, yeah. both in Boston and Philadelphia. Um, so grateful that, that Chris rekindled that connection for us. Yeah, I guess when I yeah when I went to work for Snowflake, that was the first time I worked for a vendor as well. Yeah, I think you know you and I both had very similar paths with being independent, working for different companies, working for consultancies, and then yeah, then then I jumped on board uh, with uh, with Snowflake there for for six and a half years, and yeah, yeah, and that was fun when we got to do stuff together like that. It was yeah, yeah. So. Um, Data products. I want to talk about that for a little bit. Um, it's you know one of the industry buzzwords right now that's super hot. Uh, what's your take on this concept? You know, what do, what do you think it really means? And you know, how is that its its importance in this you know complicated data landscape that we now have today? And 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 also, I, I, we talked about this uh, earlier. You, what's the difference between data products and data as a product? Yeah. And so I do think it's more than a buzzword. It is a new mindset and a way of working. And really, who who has given a larger voice to this is Jamak Dagani, um, the minds behind Data Mesh as an operating principle. And it is thinking more of data as a product as opposed to everyone looking at their little slice of the way of working that ultimately leads to an insight and action. So historically, it's like the data integration team does what they do, dump it into a data lake or a data warehouse or a cloud data platform. Somebody else is modeling it and looking after the quality. And then somebody else is looking at the analytics that you get out of it. And data is a product really says, we have to view this workflow end to end. So if my goal is to create, I'm going to say a customer 360 data product, then I'm going to look at everything I need to make that happen. Um, and so I think this is a better way of working because otherwise, if you're just focused on one slice of that workflow, you don't have a skin in the game to say, who's using this? Have I just created a data wasteland and incurred costs, but not yet delivered value? Okay. So you, you see data wasteland, that's a new one. I hadn't, I hadn't, hadn't heard it that we've got, had uh, you know, data junkyards, uh, was it data, data swamp, the data okay. swamp. So yeah. So <laughs> data wasteland. Yeah. That's a, that's another good one. But yeah, you mentioned, um, uh, the whole end to end thing. And I think that's kind of where, um, you know, I come in with where we're thinking about data ops and, you know, how does that fit into this, this landscape now, if you're really going to be really 
having trying to have domain teams in the case of data mm-hmm. mesh responsible for end to end managing all of this data from from source all the way out to somebody uh, consuming it and potentially yeah. including it in other data products. Yeah, yeah, and and so I do think some of the best principles of data ops is the agility, the collaboration. Um, data in and of itself does not create value. So I think this idea of just provisioning it or even just capturing it, maybe to complete a transaction, that's fine. But when we're talking about it for analytics and insight, then we have one, we have to be more agile. We have to be more domain focused and outcome focused. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, you kind of jumped into my, my next question was like, what do we really need to do to deliver business value, especially when we're dealing with the scale? I mean, in the last, you know, five years, six years, you know, since I joined Snowflake and you joined ThoughtSpot, I mean, we've just seen like the amount of data and the variety of data explode. So how do we, what do we really need to do? What, what's your advice to, you know, businesses about, you know, how are we going to really deliver more business value from all of this? Where do we start? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you start? Well, always start small. Think big, start small, but scale fast is kind of a motto that Katia Walsh, now the chief data officer at Harvard, uh, said once on the Data Chief podcast that I really, really like and I adhere to. But if you think about when you and I got started in this space, Kent, data literacy was low and it was really a departmental focus. Now we're in this defining decade of data where data and AI is a conversation at the boardroom. It is not just in one department, or if it is, that business is already at huge risk um, and those are the laggards. So even let's say organizations of middle to leading maturity Data and AI unlocking it for value and business transformation is a boardroom conversation. And so that starts with why? What is the business problem I am trying to solve? Am I trying to be either the least cost provider in my space? There are commodity uh, businesses that might be one why. In healthcare, it might be improving business improving patient outcomes while also making healthcare more equitable. And so starting with that why, that business value, then you go back and say, all right, what is the data I need to actually be able to execute and deliver that business value? Whereas 30 years ago, it might be, well, we collected some data. Can we do anything interesting with this? Can we improve our inventory stockouts? Can we um, improve our our cash collectibles, reduce the aging of accounts receivable? Maybe let's try it out. And it was much more bottoms up. Now we've collected a lot of data over the last 30 years, but we have not done a good job of articulating the value that that data has delivered and having more an outcomes focused view. Yeah, and I, I think for uh, a space there, especially with the advent of things like Hadoop and then the data lake concept, we got wrapped up in let's just get all the data in one place, but nobody was asking the question why. 
why are we putting all the data in one place and what are we going to do with it? And I think, you know, what I hear you saying is, you know, we really need to start with, start with the why, you know, just because we can collect all of this data and get it, you know, say in a cloud platform, is that really where we should start? We probably, probably not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and listen, you even talk about Hadoop and getting it in the data lake. Another mistake that we've made as an industry is that we, we love to talk about the technology. The technology is the how, and at some point you do need to have that conversation. You're going to make investment decisions based on technical architectures. Which tech providers do you trust? Who aligns to your vision? Open source, closed source, for example, even is, is something, you know, an, another war being fought. But um, we really... We have to start with the why from a business viewpoint and not scare people away with the technology. Instead, organizations often made it about the technology and the how without starting with what's the business value I'm trying to deliver here. Yeah. And, and I think that's when we did the, uh, uh, came up to the idea of true data ops and put together that philosophy and the seven pillars, we were trying to do that as like, let's, you know, talk about you know, a much higher level discussion about what we're trying to accomplish rather than the technology. You know, let's not, yeah. let's not start same as, you know, the agile world tried to do the same thing. It's like, let's talk about what's our goals. You know, in, in that case, it was delivering working software. Okay. And, and getting the business involved and having prioritized backlogs. And now we're really talking about applying all of that in the data world. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, where do you see governance, data governance playing a role in all of this? Especially, you know, we've got all this Gen AI stuff going on. And um, I was actually just at the uh, Snowflake uh, Data Cloud, what is it, Data Cloud World, World Tour on Monday in Santa Clara. It was the last one. Oh, and it's like, okay. Yeah, I did oh, see good. Sunny. I did okay, see Sunny's good. presentation. Okay. He did a oh, good yeah. job. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that was, of course, you know, probably over half of the discussions and the sessions were around uh, machine learning, AI, Gen AI. I went to a session on LLMs and incorporating those into the, the data cloud. Uh, so, you know, where do you see this going? And like I said, specifically with regard to data governance. Yeah. So just using the word governance, Kent, everyone just disconnected and tuned out. <laughs> All right. Data well, I could have said data modeling. I could have asked the same question as data modeling too, but. <laughs> data governance is such a, okay. Data governance needs to rebrand because data governance has become code for just say no and prevent access. <laughs> Even at, at the MIT CDO forum in July, there were breakouts on this and we said, shall we just call it data enablement? And there is a need, so I, or data access. So I'm gonna use this word data access. Okay. We need policies around data access and the degree of risk if I open up broad access, so I always like to take the example of sales trends versus employee salary. Employee salary, that is private. So you're going to have strict access controls around that. 
You might, if you're in California where there's pay transparency, you will enable access at an aggregate level. Whereas sales, sales, customer success metrics, everyone should know that. I might not want everyone to be able to see an individual sales performance or individual customer satisfaction scores, but really everyone focused on meeting customer needs, making their quarterly performance numbers or monthly performance numbers, everyone should see that. So we do want to make sure that, that we have the right access controls, but this is again for the business to decide what is an acceptable risk level. And in the past, data governance was in place because it was hard. There were technical barriers to providing access to data. As we open up access to data and as we bring in generative AI, like this is a whole nother um, thorny area, but huge opportunity, then we need to make sure that people have a common understanding of how trustworthy is that data? Where did it originate? How stale is it? And am I correctly interpreting the data? Is it sales based on quotes and orders, or is it sales based on who's paid their invoice um, and, and kind of the accounting version of sales? All of these things come into play, but I think you know, the data teams have to be more business focused rather than I'm just going to be the gatekeeper. And that's why I don't like the word governance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I know, but even in the data mesh world, they talk about, you know, federated governance yes. because you've got the domain teams now responsible for that data, which includes who should have the right to see that data and what level, whether it's granular or aggregate, which I guess that really should be driving how they design their data product even, right? Yes, yes, yeah. So that so that's a great example. Let's take this further. Let's take that operating model further. Right now in many large enterprises, if you have a, a data lake or um, a cloud data platform, who is deciding who has access to that data it's often the data team, whereas it really should be people ops or the head of HR should be deciding here is who can have access to the data. That's that federated governance or the chief revenue officer or sales leaders or the head of customer success should be deciding who can access the CSAT scores or um, sales, sales numbers. Yeah, because early on in my uh, my work at Snowflake, we were, we were running into more and more of like the data scientist kept saying, just give us access to all the data. And that led to these data lakes, which uh, often turned into a data swamp because we're just people were just loading all kinds of data and then giving full access to the data science team without knowing, you know, well, why do you need access? Well, because we want to explore the data and figure out what we can do with the data. So that's right back to your original conversation of, you know, we were, we were going at it bottom up and they were trying to figure out what they might do with the data instead of asking the question of, well, what does the business really need? Right? Yes. Yes. However, this is where data science there is an exploratory component. And that's where oftentimes in these data pipelines, the data warehouse team will aggregate the data 
which and and that is a habit that we need to break a process from an on-premises world that we need to break now storage is cheap compute is elastic when we were in an on-premises world you had to make trade-offs and so you did take subsets you aggregated and you removed many important signals in that data set and that is why data scientists will say just give me all of it because they may not know what they're looking for. So I'm gonna, again, go back to a people ops use case. Right now, we have a lot of churn um, in different jobs in the industry. Can you predict who's going to leave a company? Well, that data, we now kind of know that one of the leading indicators of somebody le leaving, getting ready to um, a trip, is that they haven't taken vacation. Well, that data set might be in a different bucket, different system. And yet, if you've aggregated it, you've extracted, I'm not going to find that signal. So give me the granular data. Let me figure out what are the signals. And so you may, you may not always know what you're looking for until you find that anomaly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. And that's, you know, in the, uh, in the data vault world, we've always you know, basically the methodology is always included keeping the raw level data in a raw data vault for that reason, because you never know when the business rules might change and you need to aggregate things differently. And that was, you know, our attempt to push back on, you know, like you said, the old days, we like pre-aggregated data, we pre-scrubbed data, and then somebody wanted to do a drill down and it's like, oh uh, yeah, that's going to take yeah. six months because we didn't actually keep the raw data. Um, and the data vault philosophy was, you know, we're going to have that low granular data so that we can recast it if we need to, but that also allowed things like the data scientists to be able to find it. Um, yeah. and, and look yeah. at it because like you said, otherwise we were, we're hiding some of the signals in the data that they might be looking for, which is like, I guess that's why they always wanted access to like the raw data lake. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But that, but then that gets into the, to me though, there's a, there's a, another quandary there with, I guess I won't say data governance, data access is there might be data in there, um, that's sensitive data that, you know, then you have to ask the question is should they have access to that data uh, without a good business justification? Yeah. And that's where, again, um, that federated, the domains should decide the access. And it's not just by subject area. It might be at a certain level of detail. So a particular team leader should have access to all the details in their team. But then others, you might say, no, you can't see at the individual employee level, the, the data. Right. And I, I think that, you know, when we start talking about data products and the federated governance and access, that just because you have this particular domain of data, but the data products, there's actually different consumers. So a data scientist versus an analyst which would maybe require those teams then to actually have different levels of aggregation, different data products with different levels of aggregation with different access controls, right? Yeah. Well, this is where, though, now we're talking the architecture behind the scenes, the aggregation should be dynamic as well. So this is a design philosophy that, that ThoughtSpot has. Don't break those legacy habits of aggregate tables, cubes, 
um, subsets of aggregated data in proprietary storage mechanisms in different BI tools because you you bring so much inflexibility here. Right. And so we like to leverage the good of the cloud data platforms so that you decide the aggregation level based on the question that you're asking, but always with those um, access controls and enablement provisioning already set up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, where do you see the role of automation in all of this? You know, maybe it's even AI-driven automation, whether we're talking about, you know, data products or data ops or DevOps types processes, you know, what do you think we need to be doing there? Yeah, and this is where we, we don't want to, you want the data sets and the provisioning of those data sets to be automated. And then I would look at then the analytics based on those data sets, setting up things like alerts, either based on anomaly detection or thresholding. Um, and where do you deliver that also has changed. So delivering that on mobile devices, as well as collaboration platforms such as Slack or Microsoft Teams, using AI to look for the anomalies has been a change in the industry. And so this is where ThoughtSpot Monitor is, is a way of pushing these alerts out depending on um, the user. But you, ha you have to look at automation both in the provisioning of the data and also making sure that that data did load. And so automation, if there's a failure, alerting the right people, but then automation through to the insight the action is like a whole nother thing that I think the industry has a lot of work to do. So if I go back to, or let's switch examples, let's do a stock out. I get an alert that um, pink is a hot color right now. In fact, I was looking at my iPhone cables. There is a 50% premium on pink iPhone charging cables over gray. Okay. Uh, thank you, Barbie movie. So if I'm going to have a stock out on those pink iPhone cables in this particular store, send me that alert. Now, do I take the action and say replenish um, or shift inventory from one store to another? We can automate that as well. But then there's the human behavior and incentives. Um, what, if, what if my performance bonus or whatever is not measured Regionally, it's just focusing on my store. I There might be disincentives that I don't take that action. If I have low data literacy, I might be like, well, I don't trust that alert. It can't be that we've already sold out when we just got a new shipment last week. So there's a whole lot of human behavior and incentives to really bring automation to the action side of the equation. Yeah, so you just exploded out uh, the concepts of you know with monitoring and observability and observability yeah. really going you know beyond the basic did the data load we need that we need to know did the data load but then like you said trusting the data and sending these proactive alerts maybe based on some AI algorithm says hey Cindy you might want to think about reordering those pink cables because we're going to be out in another day and yeah. whether or not you decide then. Well, do I trust that or do I, you know, I got to go into the store and I go go to the shelf and go, oh, crap. Yeah, we, we are out. 
Yeah. <laughs> As yeah. I guess, I suppose you probably only do that one or two times before you start actually trusting that that alert is is correct. Yeah, and I I actually love a technique that one of my customer used in fostering trust and improving data fluency is um, they gamified it. They're like, all right, we're going to share an insight um, and we want you to bet. What what does the data tell you? How many pink cables did we sell versus the gray uh, chargers? And people would write down their answers and guess and then show the data insight. And that is what built trust because um, once you're proven wrong <laughs> a few times that your gut or your experience-based decision-making was not as accurate as the, the true data, then you're going to say, all right, the world is moving so fast. I, I should and can trust data more than my experience or tuition, or it's always the combination. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we're running out of time already, Cindy. Uh, so wanted to give you a chance to tell folks what, what you're going to be doing next. Are you going to be speaking at any conferences or meetups or anything or webinars that you want to let people know about here? Yeah. Um, I just got back from a great talk at D3 Catalyst Harvard last weekend in Boston on will AI destroy humanity or improve humanity? Um, very lively debates. My next live in-person will be at the Women Leaders in Data AI Gala um, Awards Ceremony in New York City. I believe that's November 9th. Um, open to women, male allies. It's a great group. And then in January, we always do both the Data Chief podcast predictions episode and a webinar. So be on the lookout for that. Hopefully, we'll publish the ebook in December, is normally what we do. Oh, yeah, with the predictions. Yeah, for, yes. for 2024. Yeah. Um, so, what's the best way for people to follow you and yeah. keep up and, and find all these listings? <laughs> Follow me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn daily. And you let me know, are we are we still doing Twitter or X? Um, I, I do some. I still do. There. Yeah. I still do both. So, and I haven't figured out how to update my handle, so I'm still BI scorecard on X slash uh, Twitter is the best. Well, way that, that. that makes it easier for your, your old friends like me to, to find you because we yeah. know that one. <laughs> yes, true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you very much for taking the time today, Cindy, to to be with us and uh, and joining on the podcast. It was a, a great conversation. I know you and I could talk for hours about all of this, um, and we have done that in the past. Yeah, <laughs> so. we have done, and and we we still we have to reconnect in in person, uh, so we can talk for hours. So um, yeah. ho ho hopefully soon. But a pleasure okay. being on the podcast. Kent, and good to see you again. Yeah, thanks. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks, everyone, for, for joining us today. Uh, be sure to join me again in two weeks when my guest is going to be Juan Zegeda, the principal scientist and head of the AI lab at data.world. That should be a, a, another really exciting conversation because, yeah, we're going to talk about AI for sure with Juan. Um, and as always, be sure to like the replays of our podcast here and tell all your friends about the True Data Ops podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast newsletter by signing up at truedataops.org. So until next time, this is Kent Graziano, the Data Warrior, signing off for now.